The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with ten thousand, to oppose the one who comes against him with twenty thousand? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore... None of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. O gracious God, we praise you and we bless you for the gift of your transforming word. We ask you, God, to open us to the power of your word, that our lives might be transformed and we might be the agents of transformation of your world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Before I begin my sermon this morning, I I want to thank you for two things. One is, uh, you know, I received a shawl for prayer from all of you when I had my surgery and uh, through chemotherapy and radiation. And I want you to know that your uh, shawl of prayer has really um, enveloped me over the last couple of months. And I thank you for that and for all of your prayers and your letters and emails that I've had. I just have enormous gratitude for the support that I've had from this parish and from the other 184 parishes in my illness over the last few months. And I'm sure that one of the reasons that uh, I'm in such good shape today is because of your prayer. So thank you very much for that. The other thing I want to thank you for is um, your assessment. I know that um, uh, that that assessment that you pay the diocese every year is a huge sacrifice for this parish and for all the other parishes of the diocese. But I also want to say how much you make possible with that sacrifice that you make. Every year I go to Uganda and I see face to face the 150 to 200 kids that you're educating that would have no education if it wasn't for the generosity of parishes like this one. 
I see health clinics built in Tanzania that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for you. I see the work that we're doing in Israel and in the West Bank because of your generosity. And then I have the opportunity to see it right here in eastern Massachusetts, how you're changing the lives of so many young people and adults, the college chaplaincies that you're making it possible for us to have, how young people are transformed. The young adult program that you financed is really um, changing the hearts of 30 young people and forming them in the Christian gospel and the ministry every year, and they're doing extensive work across the diocese. Uh, the Hispanic uh, ministry that we have in the diocese, the Chinese immigration ministry, all of it is, happens because of your generosity. You're changing the lives and offering transformation in Jesus Christ to so many people. And I, I thank you for that profound sacrifice that you're making. I also want to thank you for your gift uh, to our $20 million capital campaign that we just finished and we went over the top, uh, which I never think we're going to do six months before the campaign is over. Um, but now you're uh, initiating many, many things. But we're the first diocese, I think, that has $2 million that's there for economic, or not economic, for ecological change in our parishes to make it possible. Uh, you're making it possible to finance more young adult ministry, but there are literally dozens of projects that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for your generosity. So thank you very much. So Becky just gave us a tough gospel. This is not an easy one. And I, I want to try to put it in a context um, and so share a little bit with you about what I know about the Gospel of Luke and uh, what I've reflected on uh, over the Gospel of Luke over a number of years. You know, I'm pretty sure with scholars that Luke is one of the, the latest Gospels that was written. Uh, I believe that it was written uh, about the time of John's Gospel towards the end of the first century, maybe even at the beginning of the second century. And when we think about a gospel written during that time, as opposed to when Paul was writing his letters or when Mark was writing his gospel, or even when Matthew's gospel was written, the church is a different place. It's not legalized Christianity yet, but things have changed. They're not having the Gentile Jewish fight all the time. There's not that conflict that we see in the letters of Paul and that we see the beginnings of in the Gospel of Mark. There isn't a church there in Luke's Gospel that has all these separate entities that are trying to be preached to, like in Mark's Gospel. It's a church that's much more settled in some ways. Not legal, but at the time that Luke was written, probably not being persecuted either. And they're focusing on some new issues. One of the issues that they focus on are these are not the initial Christians that were converted and brought to Jesus Christ by the disciples, by the apostles. We got the second, maybe the third, or even the fourth generation of Christians that the Gospel of Luke 
is written for and spoken for in the church. So we all know here what it's like, mostly, to be second, third, fourth, fifth generations. And where we're pretty settled on the outside, and we know that there's not going to be any really open persecution. It's a little tough to cut the mustard. We don't have to have the same kind of verb that maybe the people did in the first generation. There's an atmosphere that sometimes encourages us just to lay back and to do not very much. You know, I I think um, especially in Luke's Gospel, that story of uh, Emmaus that we all know that we get during Easter season, you know that there's the, that great walk uh, to Emmaus and Jesus, unrecognized, but talking about Scripture and what's there, what's open to people. And, and then they break bread and, and then they recognize Jesus. That story, we're pretty sure, was taken from some knowledge of Jesus and the risen Christ after the resurrection. But we also know that it's probably being told because there are folks that are sitting around sort of saying, well, how do I know that Jesus Christ is risen? I I wasn't there. I didn't talk to one of the disciples about this. And what this story is trying to say to those people is, you know, what about when you hear Scripture? What about when you're exposed to Scripture? Doesn't that make it possible for you to be confronted and to know the risen Jesus Christ? And you can tell that some people that are hearing this are saying, oh yeah, yeah, Scripture, that's when I knew that Christ was alive. That's when I knew the power of the living word was through Scripture. And then they come to this house in Emmaus. And when they're breaking bread, just like we're going to do this morning, they say, oh, that's it. That's when I knew that this was the risen Christ. And that Christ was no longer dead, but Christ was risen And that Christ's power that we experienced when he was here as one ministering amongst us is now here forever. And it's now a power that I can have within myself to be the agent of his transformation of this world. It's a story that was there to awaken within people what their commitment as second or third or fourth generation Christians, it was to bring it alive again and to show them where they were meeting the risen Christ. And it's there, of course, for us for the same reasons. You know, when we're doubting or when we're thinking, I don't necessarily know the risen Christ in my life. It's this story that's inviting us back. It's inviting us back to what we know 
are places that we experience the risen Christ. Places like Scripture. It's why we come to church on Sunday. Because we know as we break the bread, the risen Christ is present and we have, we have the power to go on. So all of that's background for what Becky just gave to us. This stuff about the cost of discipleship. About getting your brother to hate you and getting your mother to hate you and all these things that possessions that we're supposed to, to give up. Because, of course, what, what the author of the Gospel of Luke wanted us to know as second or third or fourth generations as Christians is that it might seem kind of comfortable, but actually, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is going to cost you something. This is going to mean a change in your life if you take this seriously. So let me tell you a story. Earlier this summer, I was up at the Barbara C. Harris Camp and Conference Center. And uh, I was there primarily because we do training of the Youth Leadership Academy, their initial training. These are 14 and 15 year olds from all the parishes of the diocese that come together and make a commitment of a year uh, to learn about leadership in the church and then to do mission work as well. And some of your people in this parish have been part of it. And one of the young women who'd been through the Youth Leadership Academy and is now a counselor at the Barbara C. Harris Camp and Conference Center, she got up to talk to these 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds on the second day after they'd had some leadership training. And she wanted them to know what the church meant for her. And she stood before them and she said, you know, I'm from an affluent suburban parish in Boston. And she said, I love my friends and I love the school that I go to. But she said, you know, what happens in a town like the one I'm growing up in is that you have good friends, but because of what's important in the value system of that town, issues like doing well in school, being a good athlete, doing the right kind of community service. All of those things, because those are issues that are important for our parents and in school and in the community and getting into college. All of those things, when you're with even your best friends, you're in competition. And you can feel this competition when you talk to people and when you try to have relationships with people. They're good friends, but it's always there. She said, when I first started taking the church seriously and going to YLA and meeting other Christian kids that were Episcopalians from other parishes all over the diocese, she said, you know what it was for me? I couldn't figure out why I liked this. It was something my parents made me do. And she said, all of a sudden one day, I realized 
that this is the one place in my life where I can be myself. Where I, there's no competition. I don't have to feel like I'm competing with the young women that are my age in any way. There isn't any sense of how this is going to help me get into college. I can just be myself. I can ask the questions that I think are important to ask. I can give the gifts that that I want to give. I was sitting there listening to her, and all I could think of was Paul. And Paul's letter about what it is that we're going to have in Jesus Christ. And he says, Christ will make us free. Christ and a commitment to Jesus Christ will make every one of us free. And my young friend who'd been through YLA and BYC and had a great relationship with her parish and served there as well, she knew freedom. That's not to say that she's not going to have other challenges of freedom in her life, but she knew what the church is supposed to be. That the church is supposed to be the place that makes us And that it's the only place, at least in her life, where she felt she could find that kind of freedom. I tell you that story because I think it has everything to do with what Becky proclaimed to us in this gospel this morning. I think what Luke is really trying to tell us is that, yes, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something in probably ways that we're very fearful. But that this cost has the power to set us free. To set us free from everything that's holding us back from being the person that God has called us to be as one who's made in God's image and likeness as one who's been given through the Holy Spirit the power of Jesus Christ to be someone transformed, someone working for transformation, not just in the church, but in the family, in the community, in all the ways that we're called. That's what this Gospel is really telling us today. Really telling us is those that can sometimes be sort of settled in our religion, yep, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us money. It's going to cost us time commitment. It's going to cost us sometimes differing from what parents believe or brothers and sisters believe. But in discipleship, in discipleship, it will offer us the freedom as those who are made in God's image and likeness. So it's a gospel we kind of want to put before us this week as we pray. Whether it's on the way to work or sitting down with your Bible or however it is that you pray. And to be able to say to God, okay, this piece of Scripture is pretty frightening to me. It is to me. But, But just tell me. Tell me about the places where you think 
where you think I'm not free. The places where you think I need to let go. The places where I know you'll give me the grace that I live in this life to do this work and to take that step into freedom. And you will know when God is speaking to you because it won't seem impossible. It won't seem like something that you can't do or something that will cause you tremendous pain. It will be something that you know will be hard. But through the Holy Spirit, God will give you the grace and the accompaniment to step into that place of freedom that you're being called. Amen. Amen.